Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, okay, this is folks out there who do not know because it's been way too long since we have done this. This is Anthony Magnabosco. This is a man who has um, not invented, but has basically refined and proliferated the disseminated the use of street epistemology. Would I would would I, would we say that's accurate? I'll go, I'll go with that. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty spot on for yeah. sure. Okay, and um, and you have done like championship work with this. Like you took Peter Boghossian's basic idea from the book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, which is, as Peter has said, the worst title for a book ever, because <laughs> it's not just about creating atheists. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's actually about- it's a problematic title. It, well, it is actually, and it wasn't one that he said he chose. And I always go out of my way to mention that because I want people to know that it's not about atheism versus uh, theism. It's a, this is, this is a, the street epistemology is a method of trying to create or maybe recreate, I don't know, um, you know, how conversations went a hundred years ago. I doubt that they were really awesome. I mean, cause humans are humans, but it's an attempt to create civil discourse. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe we <laughs> had civil discourse back in the day as everybody always yeah. says, but somehow I doubt it. But that's basically what the effort is. It's an effort to interrogate different beliefs or different ideas and find out about them. But I would say and go a step further. That's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, well, to make it productive, to make it worth the time to do, because a lot of people will look at maybe what we're doing with street epistemology or these calls for unity. And I think they conflate that with let's figure out a way to get along and come to recognize that we have these differences and that we can still navigate together in this world. Not exactly the case. Like when we're engaging with somebody using this approach, the person who's making the claim thinks that it's true. Mm -hmm. And we want to figure out how you figured it out that it's actually true. Can you walk me through your steps? It's not just to say, oh, you think it's true? Okay, that's nice. Tell me a little bit about your pet belief here. We push back, but we do so in a really respectful way that engages the person using all of their terminology and everything that makes up their belief tower. We try to work within their model to have them take a look at it and see, what did I build here? Interesting. Is it, Interesting. Can, can it really stand on its own by what, by what it's comprised of? That's an interesting analogy you use, a, a thought tower, because I have um, myself, my analogy is a thought fortress, <laughs> you know, that you're mm. having to, that, that a person builds in their mind around a belief set or a belief, right? There's a deeply held belief, and that deeply held belief is, is walled in around defenses that a person will generate or create because their beliefs get battered on. They get, they get you know, challenged, and people have to build up ideas to reinforce the central tenet or belief. And so I've always imagined it mm. in my mind as a kind of, excuse me, a kind of fortress that's built around the idea. And the reason I've used that analogy is because I found it useful to try to tell people, look, you can batter on those walls all day long. You can throw as many counter ideas and, and evidence at the person as you want, and it doesn't seem to impinge at all doesn't seem to have any effect on that central deeply held belief because it's the person themselves 
who has to, who has created the fortress and therefore has to one, invite you into their fortress mm. so that you can then address the actual thing and not what these walls and barriers and fortress consist of, which is not the real argument. It's just right. things they use to respond to challenges to their argument. But the central argument never gets touched until they invite you in. Mm. And then you're having you know, the actual conversation about it. But as long as you're pounding and, and, and using um, siege weapons you know, against this person, <laughs> they will resist, they will fight, they will put up and you won't get through. The human mind is the one thing in the universe impervious to force. It's fascinating, it's a, it's a fascinating yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I like your metaphor there because there, there are a lot of things that we'll do. If you, if you, if you watch the exchanges where we're using street epistemology, you'll probably notice that we do try to go at it in a very respectful, polite way yes. so that we're not raising defenses because we do want to get to that core. What is really propping all of this up? And if you come at somebody hard and heavy with facts and ridicule, for example, they're going to probably circle the wagons and protect that cherished belief. That's right. You know? But if you say, listen, I understand that you have this view. It's very tied to who you are. I'm not so much interested in the conclusion that you've arrived at or the belief that you're holding. I want to explore with you the quality of the reasons that prop it up. And then how did you verify that those are good reasons? So when you look at certain aspects of the fort with them, and you're not so much worried about the, the shiny gold belief that's protected, but all this, all the ancillary stuff, and you basically just have a conversation with the person. Well, how did that reason get in there? What what would your confidence in your claim look like if we discovered that that's not a good reason, that you can no longer have that wall there? What are the implications for the belief now? And it's interesting how people will say that they have a reason for the belief, but then when you prod it just a little bit, you realize that it's not a reason at all. Mm -hmm. it, they thought it was a wall supporting their or protecting their cherished belief but they would still be just as sure that that belief was correct, even without that wall. So we can set that one aside and focus on the other reasons that might be protecting the belief, but you're doing it in a very collaborative way, which I think people tend to enjoy. And it, like, it, like you mentioned, it, it circumvents that, that knee jerk reaction to, oh my gosh, I have to protect this thing. Exactly, exactly. And in fact, I'll stretch my analogy even further. And we're going to back up in a second for anybody who's a little confused right now, because we're going to we are going to get into the nuts and bolts of street epistemology. And I will ask Anthony to explain basically what it is we're talking about. But I've just been so anxious to talk to you about this stuff for so long. I've got so many things on my mind. It's my, uh, I think this is my third time on your show. And the last time I was on maybe a year ago, but things have changed quite a bit in the, in the year or so that we've been hammering at this. Yes, exactly. And this is why I wanted to, I thought it was well worth time to, to get an update because I have, mm -hmm. my channel has featured therapists and exit counselors talking about how to talk to people who have deeply held beliefs that they don't want to give up and which might not necessarily be really good for them. Yeah. And that's, that's really the judgment call here, right? Is there is a difference between, you know, having a, 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 a an innocent, non-destructive, not, not really consequential belief that you simply carry around with you that, you know, is, is fine, right? You know, unicorns are, are wonderful creatures. Great, okay, fine. Um, but if you're now, you know, to the consternation of your friends and family, if you're now off on a hunt for unicorn horns, 
<laughs> and you know, and you're paying some Joe Schlepp, you know, $50,000 because he's going to lead you to the unicorn horn. Well, then that deeply held belief might be informing action that could be potentially catastrophic to your life. And this is where we get a little concerned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but how do you talk to somebody who's in that state of mind, right? Who, who's all about the unicorn horns? I mean, they can, you know, it, it doesn't really matter is my point, what the belief is. We can use an innocent one. And we're yeah. talking about the same level of extreme belief is still potentially possible. So that, so the nature of the belief is not really the issue. And this is one of the reasons I love street epistemology is because it is a sort of tool set for anything that you're addressing. So maybe mm -hmm. before I ask you any more sharp and pointed questions about uh, about it, maybe we should just describe what we're, what we're talking about yeah. to the audience. Ho hopefully most people have seen videos and exa examples of street epistemology, or if you've been following Chris for a while, I know that you will occasionally mention this approach as a a good way of engaging with people about a sensitive claim where you can actually make progress and and push back in a respectful way that causes the person generally to think about their belief and how it got there. That's what street epistemology is. And we recognized early on that even though this started in, in an atheistic community for saying, hey, hey, you can use this approach to talk to God believers really effectively. We started realizing that we can use it on any claim, essentially any claim. So the the diversity of the claims that you can use this approach with is also advantageous. There are a lot of people today who are worried about folks that are, they fell for a conspiracy or they really think this about masks or that so something happened with the election. We're surrounded by people who we're noticing are holding beliefs that they probably can't justify to themselves. And we want to reach them, we want to help them. Well, how do you do it? Well, we're finding that this way of having a nice, respectful exploration with them where you're primarily asking questions to have them reveal their steps is seemingly one of the best ways to help that person reflect on their views. Because they ultimately are the ones that will have to say, all right, this is the evidence that I think that I have. Is this sufficient enough to be so sure that what I think is true is really true? But bringing a person into that state to even ask themselves that question in the first place is a challenge. You have to be aware that you can do this, and then you have to actually go out and try to do it. So there's a lot of things that, that sort of have to line up. But if you can, if you can learn this approach, find somebody who's willing to explore it with you and then apply this in a way where you take yourself out of it personally as much as you can, you're gonna probably help them take another look at their views. And that I think is something that we're looking for these days. We see people stuck in these cults and and um, seemingly, seemingly unjustifiable beliefs. And right. a lot of us are sort of besides ourselves. What do we do? How do we fix this? And I think this may be one of the ways to fix it. I think you're right. And I and I think that your wording on this is very good because for example, you know, you have you you are precise in the way that you speak. I, this is one of the ways we can help fix it. Correct, right? We are not talking about a one size fits all, this is going to handle everything approach. But we are talking about a way of engaging with people and and there were there were there were a couple of things you said here. One, helping the person. Yeah. That's an attitude approach. That is that that's an attitude that 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 is fundamental, I should say, to the approach. Is you're mm -hmm. not doing it. Street epistemology. Um, would you say it requires 
a non-hostile or non-antagonistic attitude <laughs> in order for it to work? No, I wouldn't say that, but I do okay. think that you should you should have a, a discussion with yourself about what your mindset needs to be in order to achieve the goal that you wish to achieve with the tool. Okay. So that that's what I would ask yourself. Now, I think you would be very successful, and I think I'm successful at using this approach because I ask myself, what what is the right frame of mind that I need to be in? And what am I hoping to achieve? So I might say, in fact, we're building a course for street epistemology and we have like 22 modules. And one of the very first ones is about the mindset that you should need to be in as a practitioner. This is why I thought I should bring this it. up. Yeah. I'm, I... I'm, gl I'm glad that you did because I think you can approach a conversation by saying, I'm on this mission to figure, find people in this specific demographic to help them realize that they can't justify it so that they stop believing that anymore. There are people who do that with this tool and you can do that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm like, I'm not so hard and fast on that. You have to have a specific mindset, but I do think that if you try to approach this from the mindset of this person has this view, maybe they've figured out a way to justify it to themselves. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the claim is true or not, but they think that it is. Mm -hmm. So it, it's worth it for me to understand how they concluded that it's true, because I might actually want to adopt the view too. I may want to stop wearing a mask in public because maybe there's something to their argument or to their position. Mm -hmm. So try to try to approach it from a place of openness, but also I think try to approach it as a partnership. How can we work right. together to figure out what you've concluded is true is really true rather than let me set you straight, Buster. It, that's that's, that the, that's the attitude I'm talking about right there. Yeah, that's the attitude now, I'm you, talking about. But my, my, you can you you can it's like just because you have a, a, a malaligned attitude, you can still use the tool, I suppose. But yeah. I'm trying to advocate for for uh, for an ethical usage of this tool, and I do think that it kind of starts with with us figuring out, you know, how, what am I really hoping to achieve here, and what's the what's the nature of this this discussion? And I think if you try to frame it as a friendly partnership to figure out what's really happening here. Because a lot of people, they're very convinced that what they have is the truth, mm -hmm. and they think that they based it on really good reasons and, and reliable methodologies, and they're often eager to share their truth with you, what they think is the facts. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're just looking for an opportunity to explain it, and that's what we try to do with SE. Yeah. Well, exactly. And if you are, so I, I, I only, I only brought up the the mental attitude or or or, or emotional attitude of the of the uh, person doing it because I think it will color mm -hmm. the conversation and the results that you could get, and only because, yeah. um, you know, if people want to have hostile antagonistic encounters and and tear each other apart, well, that's their freedom to do that. You can do that. But if your goal is to try to bring some calm to the situation or or chill divisiveness or get along mm. better with people, knowing what I know about psychology and emotions, I think what most everybody knows, right, is that trying to convince an angry person or an antagonistic person of something is damn near impossible because they're, mm. and I think it's a biological problem because I think that different parts of the brain are activated 
And the mm. frontal lobes don't tend to be the part that is getting the, the majority of the attention when a person is pissed, yeah. right? They're operating out of other deeper parts of the brain when that's happening. Sure. And so the thinking facilities are not so much there. And I'm not trying to say you can't do this effectively in the face of anger, but I'm saying it's so much more effective. It seems so that way. much and more if the guys chill, you know? Yeah. There, I've seen some uh, hybrid versions of SE where it's a little bit more antagonistic and mm. cutting, mm. but they, they still kind of stick to the SE tenets of driving to the foundation. But in my, in my sense, like my experience is, uh, well, for, first of all, I don't want to approach conversations with people where it's, I'm going to be aggressive or want them to be aggressive back. I don't want a confrontation anyways. Right. I never felt good about being confrontational with people about it. Right. My heart would race. I would be, <laughs> I, I'd be typing as fast as I could and then hitting send and then reading it afterwards. Like I wasn't th slowing things down. Right. So, uh, so staying calm as a practitioner is really good modeling behavior. So if, if you, if you have a very agitated or upset conversation partner, if you slow it down and you listen to them, ask for clarification, they will probably calm down and meet you there too. But it does seem like you can be more effective at the approach, I think, if if all those uh, those alarm bells aren't ringing for the person that you're speaking with. Right. And there's no need for them too, because you should, you should have already explained everything about what it is you want to do with the tool at well, the start as well. Thank you. And that's the other thing I wanted to jump on right away is the um, transparency of it. Because this mm -hmm. is not a tool that you use in a non-transparent, deceptive way. That has right. nothing to do with what street epistemology is. You can announce your intent and, and have an open, transparent discussion with a person in a non-hostile way, I, I think preferably. But regardless, mm -hmm. the this is an important piece, I think, because... Um, uh, because one of my biggest problems with destructive cults and with extremist belief sets is that people who get into them quickly realize that they have to deceive other people mm -hmm. to draw them into that extremist belief set. Because nobody goes zero to 100 in day one, right? You build up an extremist mm. belief set. So it takes some time. And, and the first things you're going to agree to are going to be things that are going to sound like they make all kinds of sense to anybody, common sense things. Um, and that's how it starts. It always starts with a, a path of carefully constructed truths that lead you into, you know, the, the pit of hell, right? It's, it's these awful places where things are no longer true at all. They, were, they started out that way, but then they got really weird really quickly. So the reason I bring this up is only because I'm, I'm saying that deception is an inherent part of getting into extremist mindsets. I actually believe that's true. I don't think that people are truthfully led down a path to extremism. I, I, think, I, I think in order to other, to, to create an us versus them othering is, is the kind of the, the popular term now. You have to lie about people because, because when you find out why people really believe things and what's really motivating them, you are going to find out. I don't know. You tell me. But I, my experience is that almost universally they mean to do good. 
They, they see that this view, however extremist it is, and this is true even when I was in Scientology, they believe that view is the best thing possible for the most number of people. They really believe that. Yes, yes. You know, and you're, and, and the reasons for believing that are not because they're sitting in smoke-filled rooms, twirling their mustaches, going, <laughs> we're going to mm-hmm. take down everybody. That's not generally how people are. Uh, but tell me, what have you... Well, what's your take on my, on that? Well, yeah, most people think that they are good, decent people, and most people are good, decent people. Right. However, uh, we're really good at figuring out, we're really good at protecting beliefs that we can't justify, mm-hmm. particularly beliefs that we think that we need to have in order to be seen as good people. Good point. Good Got point. It? So if I think that I need to think that there's a higher power in order to be good, it almost doesn't even matter if I realize that I have no good reason for thinking that it's true mm-hmm. because I deep down, I want to be a good person. So oftentimes you have to ask yourself, what, what is this belief doing for you? What would you be missing if you didn't think that this belief was true? So sometimes it could be as important as, as somebody realizing I guess maybe I wouldn't really, would I lie or steal any more than I do? I, I don't lie or steal anymore. I steal much now by thinking that there's a higher power. Would I suddenly start doing it more? You you need to start, well, try to ask a person how their life would be any different without the belief and if they can still be good, for example. Mm. If a person can recognize that, that I don't need to have this belief in order to be good, I wouldn't change really much in any way. That may very well be the impetus to taking another look at these beliefs that mm-hmm. are there because we think that they're good. But to your earlier point, you were saying something like um, this idea of maybe disclosing to people what you're doing, not yeah. tricking them. Yeah, I think that that's a key thing that when I was going out and doing these conversations early on, I just said, I'm, I want to figure out why you think God is real. And these days I ask the person to pick the claim. I try to lay everything out on the line as far as what's going to happen I'm going to ask you questions. I want to figure out how you determine that this is true, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, hopefully this won't be taken over by, you know, actors with ill intent. I, I hope not. Right. right. I mean, I, I suppose it, it could, you know, there, but I guess I'm more optimistic that if somebody wants to take the time to learn a tool of how to respectfully engage with somebody to get to the truth of the matter, then you're probably the type of person that would want to have it used on yourself. And I think if, as long as we're willing to put ourselves in the hot seat of an SC type of conversation, um, then it's an indication that it's probably the ethical version of it that we're advocating for. Very much so. Very much so. I don't think that there is any harm potentially possible in, in interrogating or asking somebody, you know, how they came about to form a belief set or where that where that belief comes from why they think it's true what 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 reinforces that for you could you be a good person if you didn't have this belief that's a great question that's a wonderful question it's a critical thinking question and and this is about critical thinking and it shouldn't be i don't know why someone would have a fear response to you know, being challenged unless they were, of course, on shaky ground or had had so many bad experiences in the past or, or even one tremendously horrifying experience, maybe, mm-hmm. that 
you know, they just simply shut down. They just don't want to have any more conversations, period. And I think this is a tool that can help rehabilitate that person's willingness to engage critically with other people if it's because the key word in what in your description of this is respectfully your respect and you can't do you can't do respectfully and do all this other nasty stuff we're talking about these two things are mutually exclusive if you're doing it right there's respect there for the person maybe not the belief but at least the person you're talking to precisely yeah precisely yeah, if, if you can start off by having that level of respect for the person and say, hey, this is a fact. Like I, I very likely have several beliefs, maybe, maybe many, that I can't justify to myself. And I'm in the same boat as anyone else that I would be questioning. So that's sort of a yeah, having that that fundamental level of respect for the person is is really important when you go about doing this approach, I think. Yeah, because you you also want that respect to go both ways. Exactly. And how can they respect you if you don't respect them? Yeah, or the but process. there are a lot of people who are worried about what we're doing because they there is some pushback. It's not usually the person that we flag down and say, do you have time to talk? Because they love these talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the, the organic talks that happen, which is my preference. I'm in a car, like an Uber or something, and the driver says something. That could be an opportunity to... to <laughs> So I love those organic conversations, but what happens is there are people who will watch these engagements who also share the claim that was being explored, right? Gun control, uh, veganism, God, guns, you name it. Those are the people that tend to be a little bit more squeamish about watching the interaction and, and complaining sometimes even and saying, you didn't do enough to warn them about what you were getting them into or why don't you talk to somebody who really knows more about this subject than that person? You get a lot of that, like you're picking on unqualified people. So there is some unqualified people. That's fascinating because basically they're saying this person isn't qualified to explain the belief that they hold. Exactly. What? How insulting is that kind of statement? Wow, that is amazing. I can't Mm -hmm. help but think, and I, I, what do you think about this? It seems to me, that you are definitely knocking on the door of their cognitive dissonance when you are getting responses like that from people. I don't want to assume, you know, you're throwing everybody into some kind of doubt about their beliefs, but it certainly seems to me that that kind of retort or or criticism of this is 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 based in you know, some kind of an emotional upset about, hey, wait a minute, now those questions are getting a little too close to home, right? Uh, well, it's it's kind of funny. There was a a, a Catholic bishop. It's a bishop, Car- cardinal. I, I don't know what is. I think he's a bishop or a cardinal. I don't know. Somebody in the Catholic Church had recently pontificated. Uh, oh, that's a clever use of that word. Uh, <laughs> pontificated on street epistemology, and one of their things was, "Why are you picking on all these unprepared people?" And we were wondering. We we did a review video of this thing. Maybe I can get you the link to it afterwards, mm-hmm. but. We were talking and thinking like, well, how would we as a practitioner, by what metrics would you like us to consider before we ask somebody on the street if they're capable of explaining why they think that this is true? Right. It becomes it becomes comedic at a certain point. Like yeah. if, if the person running around with the belief can't demonstrate it to their own satisfaction why they think it's the case, 
that discovery is useful for that person. It's useful for me as the questioner, and it's probably useful for society overall. So that person could go find out better answers or maybe lower their confidence in their claim if they can't find those better answers. Exactly. It seems to me that there is some kind of a disingenuousness behind a lot of the criticism I've seen about SE in that it seems that they are nitpicking on things that are, are not really an issue. You go so far out of your way at the beginning and always have in every video I've seen you do and other people do on this where you not are- Not early on. What's that? Early on, I was, I was a little bit more sloppier early on, but well, I didn't, I didn't I, mean to walk I, over your setup. But you, I'm saying ahead. all the videos I've seen of you. I haven't <laughs> watched you. all your videos. But I will say that, you know, you generally see an honest effort to talk to the person, get their agreement, you're not shouting Agreements. at them, right? You're not shouting questions that they're back. They are having, and you are, they are agreeing to have a conversation. Therefore, they uh, mentally engage with you. You, like, you, mm -hmm. you take the time to say, do you have the time to do this? Here's about how much time we're going to have. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I want your attention, obviously, during this time. And it certainly appears to me in the conversations you've had that they are giving you their full attention. They're not distracted answerers. Um, they are very, very interested in it. And of course, you're asking them about them. And people love talking about themselves more than anything else. So it seems yeah. like all the basic things that would make this a fruitful activity are basically there at the get go. Mm -hmm. And yet yeah. you get this criticism. Is any of it well founded? Mm -hmm. It's funny you say that because I think this person, they the, the the bishop or whatever was with a host and they had listed off, somehow they found a list of 10 things that you do to do street epistemology. Mm -hmm. And they were going through one at a time. So for example, obtaining consent, building rapport, identifying the claim. Mm -hmm. And of this list of, I'm going to say 10, I think they agreed with seven or eight of them. There were only a couple of them that they disagreed with. And even then... I don't think that they were fully understanding what those other two or three were, but um, no, they, they were kind of on the same page with what we were doing, but I think it's the implication that this type of inquiry could have on somebody who has never really given their thought, their beliefs, a lot of thought mm -hmm. has the potential of bringing a person to lower their confidence in a claim or completely discarding that view in something that really may be in fact true. Now that's a valid concern mm. for sure. Mm. And I think that's their position. They think that this God, for example, is real or karma is true or ghosts exist. And they're upset because they're noticing somebody being pulled away from a fact claim. Mm. That's, and that makes sense. I, you know, if I thought it was true and I noticed somebody expressing doubt on something that I was absolutely sure is true. The, the, the issue though is that whether you're a regular everyday believer or you're somebody really experienced in the belief and you've, you've studied it for decades, more than likely, you're not going to have many better answers than what we get from the person on the street. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you that. It's, it just takes longer to evoke that from the person right. because there's so much, I think, more invested in, in, folk, in certain folks. Well, I think that's the thing is, you know, if we've turned into the thought fortress analogy, when you're dealing with professional apologists or people who have spent hours, days, you know, putting a YouTube channel together, for example, and creating videos. These are people who have thought long and hard about their deeply held beliefs, have opened themselves up to challenge, and have built, therefore, more thicker walls. 
<laughs> right? That you're going to mm-hmm. have to get through, right? Or I mm-hmm. guess, you know, the tower is higher in, in your in your analogy, right? There's more, there's more underneath it supporting the idea of the, yeah. the, this thing, right, that you're trying to approach. And yeah. I think that um, that your average Joe person, yeah, doesn't doesn't do that. But it's interesting what you said, how it takes longer, but basically you get to the same things. Mm-hmm. Are you, you talking about do. emotional commitment there or what, what sort of things are you referring to? The thing that I'm usually referring, like I think I'm referring to there is unreliable methodologies for verifying your reasons. Ah. So sometimes it's a little bit quicker to discover that a person who thinks that a God is real, that you just meet on the street and they say, well, I guess when it comes down to it, I believe it because my parents told me that. Mm-hmm. And a simple question like, well, could a, could a child be taught something from their parent that's not true? And mm-hmm. that might seem like a really basic question for us, but a lot of people have never considered questions like that. Right. And that might be just all it takes for that person to start objectively <laughs> looking at their belief. And that just one little question. Right. And you can even end it on that note and let them go and think about it and give them a way to contact you afterwards if they're struggling. But an apologist might, they're, apologists are essentially collectors of walls, right? They're just they looking, that looks like a good wall. I'm going to put that there. And before you know it, they've got this just, you know, I don't know, field full of walls protecting their belief. Right. And it takes more time to sift through them. But the the foundation of those walls is just as flimsy as the one of the lay believer who just gave the first thing maybe that came to mind or that really was the reason. Right. I am wondering what sort of things you guys drill down to, you know, the idea that my parents told me. I mean, that's actually mm. quite a... Mm-hmm. Uh, good thing for a person to realize. I believe this because my parents told me it's true. <laughs> like, good, mm-hmm. great, awesome. Yeah, That's a hell of a lot more intellectually honest than a whole lot of people out there walking around mm-hmm. with beliefs because, you know, uh, whatever. And you mentioned um, that you drill down to other, uh, did you say not, you didn't say not logical, but maybe not not well-reasoned I, reasons for believing something? I guess unjustifiable would be the word that I would use, but mm-hmm. it's not unjust. They can't justify the reason to themselves. It's And that's an important thing, too, when you're having these conversations. Ask them what they think their biggest reason is for thinking that that belief is true and caution them not to th- think of a reason that I, as the questioner, will find convincing. I want to figure out the reason that you, that you became convinced by. The biggest reason, the reason that would impact your confidence most so if you've got 30 reasons out there, I want to let's focus on the one that would cause your confidence to drop the most if we discovered that it's not true. Mm. And when you start isolating reasons that influence confidence and then you start getting into the methods that people are using to verify that that's a good reason. Mm-hmm. That's especially for supernatural beliefs, this is where this concept of trust or faith comes into play. And this was a big premise of Boghossian's first book, is that people seem to be using faith as an epistemology, as a way of coming to say that I can know something to be true. Mm-hmm. But I don't just assume that every conversation I have with somebody is going to end up in, with us talking about faith. I go where they take me. But I have to tell you, for supernatural claims about gods, it doesn't matter if you are a Muslim or a Mormon or anything else in between – 
It almost always comes down to faith and people themselves realize it, that it's necessary in order for them to be sure that something is true. So it's a component, but they don't often realize how wobbly that component is until you engage with them by asking questions. What's your definition of the word? How does this word factor into your confidence that this is true? Would your confidence have any effect if you couldn't employ faith in this equation somehow? So don't ever assume, but almost always it does seem to come down to faith and it's being used as a method, as an unreliable method for being able to say that this is a good reason for thinking that this is true. Right. I happen to believe that understanding why you understand something or understanding yourself and why you choose to, or I say choose to, most people don't even go that far, uh, that I've talked to, they don't think belief is a choice. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Why people believe things, right? Um, belief. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Can can you? I was I was wondering if this might come up. What is your definition of the word belief? What is a belief to you? Because I think we could be talking past each other on that one word. Oh well, that's interesting. Okay. Um, my idea of a belief is something is an idea that somebody holds to be true. Okay. You can't have a belief in something that you don't think is true. Well, you could. I could think that it's true that rabbits don't go out at night. I could. I could. I mean, that's a negative truth claim, oh. I suppose. But yes, I, yeah. I. I could believe that that is true. I could believe, you know, vampires are a thing. I could believe vampires aren't a thing. Both of those are beliefs. You could believe that there wasn't a rabbit that liked going out at night. I could believe that there is a rabbit that does not going that does not like going out at night. I could believe that. Okay. And that belief could be false. Like there are yes. maybe the really there's no such rabbit in North America. I don't know how we're limiting this to. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely, right? Okay. Or said belief could be true because I know Harry, my little black rabbit, and he doesn't like going out at night, right? And so therefore <laughs> I have justified my belief by an empirical observation of a objective fact, right? The rabbit will not yeah. go outside at night. And therefore, I have this belief, right? Okay. I, my definition is a little, pretty close. Mine is the personal awareness of a concept. So the, the very second I become aware of something, like an, there's a, we think that there might be a, a bacterium on Mars or something. The second I get that idea, I now have a belief about it, but it doesn't really go to the truthiness of it. Mm-hmm. It seemed like your idea of a belief uh, incorporated uh, truth. It does. It's the way I think about it. Um, I think that belief okay. is very tied into our uh, our interpretation of the world and what we believe is factual or not factual. Maybe factual is a rather than you know true. I don't know. I think those are synonyms. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, think yeah. we're still you know I think we're we're still talking about the same idea. Okay. Um, yeah, it seems like we're pretty close on the word belief there. Yeah, and I think also that the difference between a belief as an idea and a fact as an idea is that a fact is something you don't choose to be, have true or not. A fact is simply true whether you believe it or not. A mm -hmm. belief is how you choose to think about or interpret this thing. Mm. Right. If you if you even choose it. Right. Which, well, if you choose it. Exactly. I mean, ultimately, yeah. I think we don't necessarily choose all of our beliefs, but I do believe 
that upon introspection and an honest work, we can change any belief that we have. I do believe that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong for believing that, but I happen to think that that is true. I don't believe that there is any implicit bias or or installed belief, even you know at two years old, that as an adult you can't change. Yeah, you didn't get a choice when you were two, three, four, five, six years old as to what you were told and what you were going to believe because of how you were told it. But you mm-hmm. do have a choice later on once you develop critical thinking skills and judgment to be able to change those things. And that's why I call belief a choice, not because the installation was a choice, but because what you choose Mm. to do with it is. Yeah. I think that's true. And I think, in fact, I believe that that's the foundational piece of information on which street epistemology basically sits. Because if Mm -hmm. you couldn't change a belief, it would be a useless activity. Yeah, I don't think humans would even communicate with each other if we didn't think that there was some chance of us coming to an agreement or exactly. changing a person's mind on something. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, big time. So so beliefs can be changed. Facts really can't. Facts are facts. Facts are that, that facts don't care what you believe, right? Science, mm-hmm. science, science doesn't care what you believe, right? Um, but so much, but the, the thing I wanted to bring up is that so much of our world rests on our beliefs and very mm-hmm. little of our worldview relies on Actual facts. I, 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 think so? I, I think so. I think that's true. I because of our biases, because of the way our biases filter the information we receive. I think is is another factor there. Um, hmm. Like you can believe a true thing, but you can believe something grossly false about that true thing, <laughs> right? And now yeah. you got spin. Now you got some spin. And so yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah. My world rests on the fact that you know cell phones are important. But, you know, watch out for those 5G networks because you're going to get COVID, right? So (laughs) it's like, you know, these influence the facts we have 100% across the boards, right? We filter this information. So so this is why I think street epistemology is so valuable because it allows you, it points out, it, it, it makes you look at and confront or deal with your own biases, your own ways that you spin your information. And yeah. that's, that's what I think is really valuable about SC. I see it as a way to raise or help a person think about themselves and think about their thinking. And I yeah. think that, and there was, a, there was another thing you mentioned earlier that I wanted to highlight and ask you much more about, which is that you, you described very, very well, I think, that what you're trying to do is get the person to think about their thinking. You're, and you're trying to understand. You do that by you un- trying to understand their thought process, not make their thought process look like yours. Oh, absolutely. What good would that do? Right. What good would that do if I convinced you to come around to my side or use the words that I'm using or the meanings of the words? I want to I want to enter your world and figure out how you concluded that this stuff is true. Right. So the more that you can take yourself out of it and become a part of their world and be create a mirror with them to their own views, that's what's going to help them take another look at their their thoughts. And the the prior discussion about beliefs and facts, you you've got me thinking about that. Yeah. I think a lot of us think that our beliefs are factual. We think we're walking around with the factual truth of the matter. Right. 
And we do need to disentangle the belief that you have about the fact from the actual fact of the matter. Yes. And we, we merge those together. And then when you wrap it up with your identity, I'm a good person because I'm thinking that this is factually true. <laughs> yes. The mere question that it's not a fact is an insult to me as a person because now you're saying I can't be good or something or I'm inherently bad now. Or that's right. That's why those questions. Handle it. That's why I'm so happy, so impressed by questions like, well, if, you, if this wasn't true, would you still be a good person? Yeah, that is so, that is striking right to the heart of the identity yeah. connection, and and yes. this is and this is this is who we are. This is this is our personalities. I, I mean, as far as I can tell from all the study I've done so far, it is we are our beliefs, our collection of experiences, acculturation, and belief. That is us. Yeah, and, and it makes sense that we would protect them too and build yeah. those walls. Because we don't we don't want our identity challenged, and we don't have to want to keep questioning who we are. That's right. It's an uncomfortable process, but it's a necessary step if you want to occasionally take a look at the beliefs that you've built that you now have paired with your identity, to occasionally check and see, am, am I on good footing for thinking that they're factually true? Right. Exactly. And I have found after coming out of something like Scientology, and I guess I get to say that I have a unique worldview because of that. Not everybody's come out of destructive cults after 27 years, right? Uh, a, a lot of people have. I mean, no, don't get me wrong. I'm far from the only person who's in this position, but it is a fairly unique position that, you know, that you go all in on something and then pull out. Yeah. And then what? And go, wait a second. What just happened? Who am I? Yeah. Who am I? Yes, very much so. Right? And the last eight, nine years have been me figuring out who I really am. Yeah. And um, and not the Scientology personality that was kind of installed over the top of me. And that's, mm -hmm. a, that's the best way I know how to describe it. And it is real for me that that is what happened because yeah. I've done so much work on this. This isn't just a passing thing for me. But I but but the lesson that I walk away the one of the many lessons that I've that I've learned walking away from that and and doing the recovery work is this business of of personality and belief being so intimately tied together, and when we are identifying ourselves with a belief set, we are doing ourselves such a massive disservice because what we do is we deny ourselves the power of choice. Because you've always got a choice to believe or not believe, to act or not act on a principle. But if you're all in on something and it can't be any other way than this, you deny yourself that power of choice. You deny yourself a freedom of activity, of movement, of thought, of belief. And this is where I've arrived to, is I've gone through this extremist belief set. I've been down the conspiracy rabbit hole. I've been down the Scientology rabbit hole. I have gone all the way down both of those rabbit holes. And I, I mean, I used to be a Rush Limbaugh listener. So I've been conservative, been in that mindset. And then I come over the other side or you get more centered after a while. You start going, wait a second, all these beliefs are a little bit for the birds because the fact of the matter is that I thought this 20 years ago, then I thought this 10 years ago. Now I think this right now, I'm the same person. Hmm. What's so different, right? Well, the beliefs change and all of this, and you go, okay, well, maybe these things aren't quite as solid and, and important hmm. as we all pretend they are. And now, after you read, you know, something like, you know, you start studying John Stuart Mill, <laughs> right, on liberty, which is, you know, your seminal work on freedom of speech and freedom of thought, and 
you start realizing that it's actually, I believe, a superior place to be, to be able to consider ideas and beliefs and then put them back down on the table. Yes. You know? Yes. That's what I think. And that's what, and that's why I support SE so much is because I believe properly done, it puts a person in the position where it doesn't necessarily strip them of their beliefs, but it gives them a good once over as to, well, why do you think that? And it allows them to to self-interrogate, really, and then go, huh, maybe this belief, you know, if you can pry it out of their personality a little bit, give them a little bit of distance, they can start going, huh, Mm -hmm. huh, okay. And that can get a ball rolling, and who knows where it's going to go. Sure, there's a lot of dogmatic people who are freaking out about it, but I think freedom of thought and freedom of belief, you know, I can look equally now at both ends of the abortion question. This was one of the things I, I, I sort of SE'd myself on is I went really all in on the right wing side of it. And I went, why are these people saying this? What is this all about? And once you get that they really believe it's murder and you think to yourself, well, if I really thought it was murder, wouldn't I be doing all the things they're doing? Hmm. You bet I would. Hmm. So maybe they're not so different after all. Maybe they're not that's so evil after all, right? I don't know. What so do you think about all that? What I, what I thought was interesting right there, where you were explaining how your actions and behaviors should represent, that they should be tied to the belief that you have. And if you're not actively protesting or going out and you know, defending uh, or, yeah, trying to prevent people from having an abortion, maybe you're not quite on board with the actual belief. So that's probably a really good way of, of uh, that might be one of those red flags to look for. Like, what's an activity that I should be doing because I think that this is true, but I'm not? And mm. why aren't I not doing it? That could be an indication that I'm not quite as sure it's true anymore as, as I once was. That's true. That's very yeah. true. That could, that could be, it's certainly an opener for another vector of questioning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. The, you kind of reminded me about earlier, we were talking about uh, how these beliefs can be really tied to who you are. And and uh, I had a talk with a guy. Actually, we started talking about abortion, I think, or that was a possible topic. But then it switched to morality that mm. he was basically thinking, I, I don't think that I could be good without this belief. Mm-hmm. So in SE, we were, we have that little triangle. I don't know if you remember seeing it where it's like, what, what? what what is it? It's what, why, how, and it gets bigger at the base. So we're really interested in the how, we're kind of interested in the why or the reasons and the what you actually believe at the top, it's not all that important. But there's there might actually be a lower layer of who, the actual person that holds the belief yes. and spending a little bit of time figuring out how they would be different if they didn't believe in this anymore. Yes. How, you know, and, and that, yeah. that could be that could be a huge wall that these beliefs are being protected by. Absolutely. This is, um, this is psychologically, this is self-categorization theory. Um, totalist identity, identity theory. There's various names for this in the psychological world that I've been studying about. So this is why I know about this crap, right? Because it's like kind of what I'm studying right now on coercive control. But it's, but it's, it is so, the, the, the ideas we have are so tied into our self-image of who we are. And that, of course, is so tied in with the morality issue, as you brought up. It goes quite, yeah. goes right to morality. And so. we haven't even touched on the tribal aspects of these beliefs, too. No, we haven't. And that's Please. a whole other factor. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm, I'm, I, um, 
wanted to ask you about QAnon. Mm -hmm. And tribalism, of course, comes hand in hand with that. <laughs> it's QAnon, interesting. QAnon, yeah. It's I don't know much about it. I've, I've been, I mean, you, I've been hearing it on the news off and on. It seems there's a lot of people who are worried about loved ones being in it. I was wondering if you, so you haven't run across anybody from that group I, yet? I haven't. I, I was actually tempted to invite people to bring a loved one who they know is in QAnon and maybe do something on Clubhouse maybe or, or mm. Discord mm -hmm. where, you know, I can possibly, or maybe do a Zoom. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 recorded, but there's not, not anybody watching at the moment. Right. Where may, maybe I could use street epistemology with somebody who's into those views. Because I, I got to tell you, Chris, probably once a day now, somebody says, do you, where's the link to the example of you talking to somebody who's in QAnon? Right. That happens on people. But... What, but in three weeks, it's going to probably be some other thing that they want to see an example of. A mask usage was the was the thing before. So I try to caution people that you don't have to have an exact match of the topic being explored in order to pick up on what we're doing with this tool. Right. Identify the the claim, work out the definitions, get to the main reason that's propping it up, and then ask them about the reliability of the method that they're using to verify that that's a good reason. Right. You can do that with anything. Well, of course including you can. QAnon. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and I don't have any question about that. But I think that there's a thing. I'm going to borrow this term. It's not. It's not uh, too archaic. I'm going to borrow this term from Scientology. Actually, it's called a hidden standard. It's. A I mean, standard? yeah. It's. It's the only place I ever heard the term was in Scientology. But it's a fairly common sense idea. It's look. I have a standard for whether street epistemology works or not. That standard uh, is you you show me somebody, you know, turning tail who's QAnon and then I'll believe it works. Oh, I see. And until huh. then, I won't believe it. That's basically what I think people are putting forward when they're asking for specific examples of things. Is oh, you they, think so? I think it's hmm. a kind of there. I think it's kind of there. I don't mean that across oh. the boards like universally, but I do believe that there are hidden standards people have. They challenge well, I don't think that you could stall. I don't think you could deal with somebody who's in Scientology with street epistemology. Oh, uh, I've, right? I've I've seen the exact same thing with Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. People saying that, yeah, mm. but you do this with a real Christian or do this with somebody who right. is a Muslim. And I got to tell you, you can use the approach on anybody on any claim. Right. The the resistance that you're going to get is dependent on how willing they are to entertain new ideas, mm -hmm. their ability to be honest with themselves and with you as the questioner, because sometimes people can just give bullshit answers because they just, they, they're trolling you or something. Yep. And then uh, the other thing is, how important is it for them to want to believe true things? Right. And how do you deal with those two things? Because um, you mentioned uh, they want to have to want to believe in true things and they mm -hmm. have to want to be honest with you. Yeah. How, but your encounter, you literally are almost always randomly pulling these people off the street. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with somebody who's not being that way if, that you detect? Great. Well, one of the first things you need to recognize is that, yeah, I could run into anybody with a completely different personality set and somebody might be way more open and honest and somebody may not be. When you run into somebody who, seem, who seemingly closed or they think truth is subjective and it's not objective, or they don't value truth, or they are not being honest. If, if they meet some of those requirements, 
I try to notice it right away. And it doesn't make any sense in my view to keep exploring the claim or the quality of their reasons or the reliability of their methods until you address the larger factors. Yeah. And that would be, you seem, you seem really sure that this is true almost to the point where you're not even willing to entertain the possibility that it's not. Mm -hmm. Am I understanding that to be the case? Like I, I didn't accuse them of doing that. I'm laying it out. This is what I'm observing. Mm -hmm. And they say, yeah, absolutely. Like I know, I know that I'm right. And there's nothing that you can do or say to get through to me. Like it, it's like arguing that the sun is not going to rise tomorrow. I'm not sure that this is true. You get some very obstinate people. Yeah. What I do in that case is I, I, with their permission, I ask them how, if they know of anyone who's just as obstinate on the opposite view. Mm. And often they do. They've had battles with people and mm -hmm. they, they're at wit's end of how to get through to them. And I might just, so now we're, it's not even we're talking about me or them. Now it's that their friend or some hypothetical person here. Hopefully they entertain hypotheticals. That, that could be another resistance point. But I, again, I would just use, I would use questions to uncover what's really behind all of this. So you have a friend you said that is just as closed minded on you, but they have the opposite position. How would, how would you recommend that we talk with them? What do you think that they would be willing to consider if they're that close-minded? They're, they're seemingly just as close-minded as you. And the answers that your conversation partner may be giving you could very well be the things that you can use with them yep. to explore why they're so close-minded. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be sneaky. You can even say, okay, I'm going to ask you some questions, but I am going to turn this around on you. So just keep that in mind, okay? You, you don't have to be sneaky or tricky about it. Right. Keep them as, in, as informed as possible with the understanding that if you inform them on, on everything, it could raise defenses. But I think I'd rather err in that, in that way. And what sort of things do you think? See, to me, one of the things that appealed to me the most from day one of hearing about this and, and exploring it with you and with Peter has been the fact that it is non-judgmental by definition. Or at least it feels that way to me. It feels like the best way to do it would be to be that way. Um, now, non-judgmental is a tricky word, though, because, of course, you have judgment. Every single question yes. you're asking requires judgment. We but, have we're, we're always going to bring a certain amount of bias into the conversation. Yeah, no question. And that's going to result in judgment. Yeah. Right. But, but we I do think try to respect, hold that But back. it's that respectful component, though, that balances mm. that. In other words, you're not going into an SE conversation with the idea of, quote-unquote, Winning, mm -hmm. owning, destroying, dunking, dunking on, exactly, <laughs> debating, even debating. Right. I think debate is, no, the, is, I don't like is that completely word. We, the wrong we don't, word, right? People will join the Street Epistemology Discord server and they're like, is this the place to debate about X? Like, right. We don't really, you know, debating has a certain connotation that it's an argument, that it's contentious, that I'm going to win and show you that you're wrong. Right. In SE, we want you, you're the star, you're on the stage, like educate us. Now we're going to ask you some questions to challenge how you got there. Yep. But you're the one that has it. Let's, let's reveal your position as clearly and as accurately as possible. Right. It's more because of an we, interview than a debate. I would say that. Yeah. But it, it doesn't have to be a one-way directed interview 
kind of like what we're doing. Like this is more of a back and forth yep. kind of like yep. I, I've asked you a few questions and things. Yep. Uh, you can make it any way that you want. In okay. the in the video examples, it's usually somebody initiating a talk and being the interviewer. In fact, I even say I'm interviewing people. It's my hobby. Yep. So I'm framing it as an interview. But when people then put this into real life and they sit down with a loved one, a loved one's not going to let them interview them. It's going to be this back and forth. So uh, in a way, <laughs> we're, we're doing a disservice to a certain extent to people who then use this approach in their in their everyday personal conversations, as opposed to like a stranger on the street. But if if you account for that, and make it, you can make it a back and forth. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely not a, like an argumentative debate. I think that's the right, that's the wrong mindset. Well, that's that was my point. Really, is that is that if you're trying to argue with a person, you're doing it wrong because that's not what this is about. It's about understanding the person, not yeah. arguing with them, not overriding their ideas right. or their beliefs with yours. It's about yeah. questioning why they have those beliefs and getting them to look at it. Mm-hmm. And they may or may not change their mind. That's right. actually kind of ancillary as far as I'm concerned. It's did you learn something from them about their beliefs and did they learn something from themselves about mm-hmm. their beliefs? I think that I think that's about the best possible outcome you should expect from street epistemology, not changed hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think if anything, it's the first step in what would be a road to changing hearts and minds through active listening, through uh, you know, meaningful conversation, through respect, and through inviting them to look at it for themselves and come to their mm-hmm. own conclusions. And they'll generally, when they start mixing with them, you know, with when you start messing up their their messaging in their own head, they have to start thinking about it again. And and there's a possibility that they might re-examine in a new unit of you know with a new light with new information something mm-hmm. that they were told when they were five years old that they've never questioned until you talk to them about it. So right. I so that's great. Mm-hmm. And isn't that the the state of mind that you would want somebody to be in at the end of the conversation? Yes. Not not upset and embarrassed and they thought that they got owned or or you've given them all this evidence that they're not going to look into. Right. But they're actually walking away thinking that person I completely disagree with them on this thing, but they heard me out. I felt like I was listened to. I feel better prepared the next time I'm asked to talk about this topic. And by the way, I need to research that one thing that I thought was true because maybe, you know, maybe I need to look into that. That's the kind of open mindset that we want to try to promote in SE. It's not just, let me just completely destroy any confidence that you have in your claims whatsoever. It's no, let's take a look at the, the tools that you're using to build your belief structures. Right. And it, you, the, the efficient thing about this too, is if I identify a faulty, a faulty process in the way that I form my beliefs, I've now identified something that has implications for th- hundreds of other beliefs. Exactly. That's why I don't get so worked up on not having an example where I'm talking to somebody about QAnon, because if you can just learn the method and you start applying this type of questioning to your reasons and methods, it has implications for all those beliefs that you probably can't justify to yourself, which in the end, I think will make for a better society for all of us. I, I could not agree more because this is really inviting a person to engage in critical thinking about their mindset or their beliefs. Kind of kind of what you're doing, right? Because you're asking critical kind of questions. 
not criticism kind of questions, but critical questions. Like, well, hang on, what do we know? Who, what, when, where, why, how? You know, these are critical thinking questions. These are things you'd want to know the answers to. And for people who rotely believe things and don't think about them, and that's my definition of faith, by the way, is the thoughts you don't have to think about anymore. <laughs> then, you know, I that's my reducto ad absurdium idea of faith. Is it's those thoughts you don't have to think about. So um, if you're you're basically inviting them to think about them, and I think that that's the properly done SE. Now there is a criticism yeah. that I wanted to ask you about, which has to do with tearing down people's belief structures and not giving them anything new or giving them anything else. And that can leave a person a bit rickety and maybe feeling out of sorts and maybe feeling even worse than that. Does that happen? Is that a valid criticism? And how is that dealt with? Yeah, I think it's a valid criticism because we are asking questions that have implications for your belief towers, for the for the structures you know that that are tied to who you are and how you interact with the world. It's one of the reasons why I think we're trying to advocate for exploring what your objectives are before you go out and do this or mm -hmm. use this in, in an organic situation. Uh, ask yourself, what's the best mindset to accomplish this stuff? And then maybe even tack onto that, well, of course, consent, explain it to people what you're doing and then getting their consent. But then maybe even afterwards or asking yourself, after I have this conversation with them, What's my obligation? If they're really struggling, am I going to be around to help them? Mm -hmm. And if the answer to that is yes, then that's usually the green light for me to go ahead and proceed. But sometimes people will say, Chris, I would be fundamentally different if I didn't think that this was true to the point where I'd harm myself or other people. Mm-hmm. I would be terribly depressed or, you know, and you can still SE that by the way, you can say, well, how would that manifest? What would this depression actually look like? Do you know somebody who actually started to question this and realized that they didn't? How are they doing? Did they have any, how do you think they did? You can still talk about, you can basically still SE the mindset that they think that they would shift to if they didn't have the belief. Mm -hmm. But honestly, you have to go where they take you. If they say, I would harm myself or other people, and it seems like they mean it, then that's usually this, the, the feedback for me to not converse with them anymore on this topic. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not ready yet. For some reason, I'm ready. I got the tools. I know exactly where to go with the questions possibly, but they're not ready for the fallout that can happen from challenging this view. Then I, I sometimes even ask them like, would you be willing to let me, it's, I, I'm, I'm at a dilemma here. I'm pretty sure I can ask you three more questions and you would probably start to doubt that this was true. What do you think about that? Is that something that you'd want to proceed? You know, you can, you can lay it all out there for them and let them be the, the decision makers. They could say, let me, let me take a few weeks to think about that. Like, I think you're full of shit. There's no way you could ask me three questions, but if you did, and I started to doubt I really want to give some thought as to whether or not I want to participate in that. And then again, it's them giving you the green light to go ahead. Right. And that consent factor, I think, is super, super important when we get to sensitive areas like that, because you are playing with fire a little bit in a way it, with some yeah. people, right, who are you on are. a razor's edge. I mean, there are people mm -hmm. I've discussed this, and this is one of the reasons why I am adamant that there are people who they're just not up to having 
the atheist conversation, and it's just not going to be constructive for them. You know, the, the, the person who found Jesus in prison and was, a, you know, a drug kingpin and now isn't because of Jesus is not somebody no. I'm particularly keen on stripping of their Jesus belief <laughs> because it gave um, them unless... a moral foundation on which they can act. Now, if you can have yeah. that conversation, great. But mm -hmm. as you just pointed out, if you get to the point where the person starts going, hey, wait a second, this I'm feeling wobbly right now. I don't think that this is going to result in a good thing. I think it's I think it's incumbent on the questioner to go. Okay, great. Then guess what? We're not going to continue with this. You know. I think so. I think yeah. so. And there, you may know just by default that okay, with mom, there's no way we talk about God, but everything else is on the table. Cool. Yep. Practice yep. your street epistemology skills with their consent on those topics. Right. And again, this is about it's about learning the tool, putting it into practice, but then becoming so familiar with it that you use it on your own claims. Right. So, there we go. I mean, <laughs> think about how useful it is if you can set aside the whole God topic with your mom, but you use street epistemology on other claims that they make. Well, you're teaching them how to politely inquire about their belief formation process. And if you do that enough, they're going to start doing it on their own. And you may not even have to engage with them on that topic because you've now just gifted them the tool. Bingo. That's exactly yeah. where I was going with that. I think that's exactly right. I, I absolutely mm -hmm. believe that that is true in the same way that I would never talk to a Scientologist about Scientology. I would talk to them about the JWs. Uh. I'm going to talk to them about the Mormons. I'm going to talk to them about the FLDS. I'm going to talk to them about the Hare Krishnas. I'm going to talk to them about, you know, Heaven's Gate. I'm not going to talk mm -hmm. to them about L. Ron Hubbard. Mm -hmm. Right? This is definitely right. strategic. Absolutely yeah. it is. And you could call it manipulative. Uh, I don't know that it's manipulative any more than any other conversation is manipulative. I think getting people out of destructive cults is, is a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, that's how I would go about doing that. You know, There's nothing wrong also with saying that I'm dying to use the same questioning approach for deeper beliefs that you have, but I'm worried about the result. And it might... Maybe you're just not ready for that type of questioning, so I'd like to use it with safer topics if that's okay with you. You don't have to hide anything from, in this case, your mom, right? Like you could just yep. say, you're, you're making all sorts of claims. I've learned this different technique. Would you mind if I explored it on this claim about the car wash down the street has safer chemicals than the other one? Like that's, right. okay, let's, that, that could be fun. Yeah, well, exactly. And I would, I would do it as a sort of a fun exercise more so than I would say, well, I'm going to avoid your deeper held beliefs. Because I think that that would set mm. off a, a, a fight or flight you know, a little bit of a uh, yeah. defensiveness sort of thing. Again, right. not to be manipulative. That's, that's the but, risk. That's the risk right. that you run is right. when you reveal too much, suddenly it's this bigger thing than it needs to be. Exactly. And that's and if it's not a big thing to start with, don't make it a big thing. You know, asking somebody questions, interrogating them about things doesn't have to be the, you know, this, this ritualistic you know, sort of formal, okay, we are now going to do step one and we are now going to do step mm -hmm. two. You know, it's not quite that bad, but I am curious, is there an ethical code for SE had been drawn up? I mean, you've mentioned points like consent and, and you know, well, that sort of thing. Who enforces it? Well, it's, just it's, a good, a, it's it, sort of a, here's some guidelines or something. I don't know. Well, I don't know if there ever will be one. Oh, okay. There seems to be some unwritten ones. Mm -hmm. Like it's murky because there's a community of people who do this. Mm -hmm. There are people who upload content 
who are influencers in this. There's people who are writing books about this stuff. And uh, there's, I don't exactly know. There seems to be some sort of unwritten uh, rules about what this is and how you should go about doing it, but there's nothing written in stone. Mm -hmm. And we started a nonprofit for street epistemology, but that's just basically to, to get financial resources to people who want to promote it. So Maybe at some point along the way, there's a need to put down hard and fast. You're you're not doing SE if you do A, B, C, or D. Right. That's what I and, would recommend. And yeah. you are doing SE if you do these th these five things or something. Yeah. I, I think if you don't have some rules for the road, you're going to find people doing things with it that are that are going to be very weird. And they're going to call it SE, but it's not. And it's going to get... That's a risk. Yeah. That that's... is a risk. But I, I I do wonder, Chris, though, that if you define it too much, mm -hmm. um, there's pros and cons, I suppose. But one thing that's at the back of my mind is that could we be stifling creativity and experimentation if we say, don't do this? Mm. Because I've, I've seen people push the, the barrier as far as like what I would bring to an SE conversation. Mm -hmm. And it actually improved it. Did it? Give me an example. Like, well, I mean, if, if you were to ask me to write a list of what you should and shouldn't do in SE, yeah. and I wrote that list five years ago, one thing on the list would probably be resist sharing your own perspective. Mm. Because I didn't want to influence my conversation partner, so I was intentionally not doing that. However, enough people watched video examples to see me try to squirm out of revealing my position and it comes across as insincerity. Mm. And that's the last thing you want when you're having an SE conversation. So nowadays I think we're a little bit more open to sharing our views, even though it could raise defenses because in the end of it, like macro, it's probably slightly more advantageous to reveal it. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, that's why I'm like a little hesitant to write stuff down because you know, then, then it might be something that's taboo, or people just don't even think about challenging it. Mm, fair enough. We're we're still in the developmental phase on this, by the way. Like, if I were to, you know, people are becoming aware of it, but we're still tweaking it. Right. This is still this is, thing is still in flux. And I understand that. And I was thinking along the lines that it would be a growing, evolving, changing thing. You are engaged in a living study yeah. right now, you know, I'll say science. I mean, you know, I don't know that you're doing science as such on this, but it's, but it's certainly following along a developmental line. And, um, and I just, I, you know, it's, it, it was, um, it was a long time after Zimbardo and Ash and some of these other, you know, and, and, uh, and the guy killing an elephant with LSD, you know, all this stuff went down in the late 60s, right? So early 70s. And and we have ethical boards for a reason in universities because mm. of this stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, now, that does stifle study because you can't do Stanford prison now. You can't. Right. You'll never get ethical okay to do the Stanford prison experiment again. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Honestly, I have given that a lot of hard thought. And I don't have a definitive yes or no answer, but I do know that what, what people can get up to and, and what people will do with something in, in, in using something like SC to, as a method of abusing somebody, because you can do it that way. And, mm -hmm. and, and I just think that if there was an official 
<laughs> this is mm. just me talking, okay? I'm not, no, no, I'm not I, trying to I'm tell loving you it. No, keep how going. to run this is good. shit, right? But I just think <laughs> if there was some kind of an official, so to, you know, so to speak, look, this is, there's, there's ethics connected with this activity. And yeah. and you are messing with somebody's head, and I and and I don't messing with somebody's head. You are, you are invading their life. You are interrogating their deeply held beliefs. You are you are invest. You are getting into territory that is not just social veneer. You're going past it. Mm-hmm. There could be consequences to that with some people, mm-hmm. and a recognition at least of that. And a hey, if it mm. appears X is happening, back off. If it appears Y is happening, maybe you might want to tailor your questions a little differently or something. Some yeah. general guidelines. I'm not trying to say you guys become the authoritarians over SE, okay. but I see what you're saying. Just you know. bring it to people's attention that these are things that you want to consider, that there's yeah. ethical implications and what your standards are. You'll probably want to consider those. Yeah. Well, I mentioned the course earlier. Before you yeah. get into building. Well, before you get into building and maintaining rapport, addressing truth, identifying claims, uh, the the one prior to that is considering ethics. So it's having the right attitude is before that, and then considering the ethics of the approach. So I think we you know we do plan on calling attention to it that you need to consider it. But as far as like what crosses the line and what doesn't, how the heck do you standardize that? I, it's hard. I know. It's and, like and psychology. Maybe, and maybe in five or ten years. We'll look back at the videos and wonder how, like, think how unethical that was that we did that. Mm-hmm. Like, things change over time. Mm-hmm. But we're in this we're in this weird development phase where we're trying to understand what it is we're even building here. Right. Right. And I think we'll we'll end up looking back and cringing at a lot of stuff that we did, but it's moving things forward. Right. And that seems to be, you know, that's how you grow, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's why I support the hell out of it. Because I, because because I know you, I know Peter, I know you know you guys are movers and shakers on this, and you're good people, and you and you have honest intent, uh, mm-hmm. and I and I want to support the hell out of that, you know, because there are people in the um, atheist world, and there are people out in the big wide world who don't have such intent, and there mm-hmm. are a lot of people, and it's and it's I, I I'll ask about the social media aspect of this in a second, but I just want to comment on the fact that not everybody comes at this stuff from the same place, from the same ethical place. And there are people who come out of religion who are quite vindictive about the experience, and rightfully so. They had horrible things done to them, or they experienced horrible things. And then the recovery process involves getting some perspective about that. Not everybody goes through that recovery process so well. And so you get very angry atheists, for example, right, who are just like, after, after 10, 20 years, they're still angry. You're like, dude, I think you need to go see a therapist, <laughs> which is not which is not a degrade of them. It's really honest advice. It's like, go talk to somebody about this because it's, yeah, get some help. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's, it's, it's a perspective, you, you know. It's funny you mention that because some people will say, "I've these are all anecdotes," yep. but a lot of people have said, "I'm so glad I discovered those street epistemology videos." Because you showed me that I can talk about this subject that I would normally get really upset about in a calm, rational, a way that's effective that would bring more clarity to their view and mine. Beautiful. So a lot of people are saying that uh, this helped them either skip the angry atheist phase entirely or shorten their time in it. 
which is really interesting. Yeah, that's good to hear. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I do, I think I get the gist. I think what you were saying there is that people might be so jaded by the experience that they see this tool that can be manipulated or used in a way to really clobber the opposition over the head. And you can do that. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to model, you know, a more compassionate usage of it and is as transparent and as open as you possibly can, you know, and also like merged within what's happening in the community. Mm-hmm. So the community can watch these examples and say like, why did he, why did he end the conversation there when she asked him this question? People can be debating about what they're seeing and hopefully moving it forward in a more productive, ethical way. Yeah. And I think for the most part, that's the kind of feedback you get. From what I've seen, that is by far Trying the majority to. of what we see. And I, yeah. of course, being the kind of person that I am and the, the subject matter that I deal with, I'm always thinking about, well, how is this going to get corrupted? How are people going to screw with this? How are people going to go extremist with it or misuse yeah. it? And that's why I think, you know, uh, that's why I ask the questions I ask. Um, have, you, mm-hmm. have you ever heard of the term sea lioning? Uh, no, I don't think so. What's that mean? Uh, I don't know exactly what it means, but there's like a cartoon going around where some people have drawn comparisons to SE. Are you Googling it? I am. It's basically this idea where maybe you just keep asking why, 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 and you, you sort of just keep asking questions to infuriate your conversation partner. There we go. You are nailing exactly what I was talking about. I didn't even know there was a word for this, but this is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. Here's the definition. Sea lining. It's a Wikipedia article. A type of trolling or harassment that consists of pursuing people with persistent requests for evidence or repeated questions while maintaining a pretense of civility and sincerity. Yep. It may take the form of incessant bad faith invitations to engage in debate. That is sea lioning. <laughs> and that's exactly right. the behavior I want to, I want SE as a community and topic to avoid because it's, it, it's exactly, it, every single instance of sea lioning that some jerk off does is another piece of ammunition for the other side yes. to unfairly tar se which is yes a, you know in a bad light mm-hmm. right it's not doing us any right it's it's uh so people will observe an se conversation and they see questions going back and forth but if they've only seen ver- the, the sea lining variation of it they made it immediately think oh they're doing the same thing and i don't like it so it's making it harder for us to advocate for this approach when there's such um there's so many bad faith actors, I guess, using sort of a trolley approach to it. And I think the solution to it is to ask yourself, if uh, if the person that I'm asking these questions to, if the only way that I can ask them these questions is if I agreed for them to ask me questions back in return using the same method, would I want to use this method? Right. <laughs> would there I want them go. to use... <laughs> Would I want them to see lion me back in return? And the answer is going to probably be no. So don't do it to them. Right. Model the kind of conversation that you would like them to mo- converse back with you right. at, at. So if you do that, uh, you'll probably start self-disciplining and saying, hmm, you know, I've asked three questions in a row. I don't want to seem like this is sea lining. Maybe I should check in and see how they're doing. 
Am I asking too many questions? Would they like to ask me a couple of questions in return? Do they need a little bit of a break? Right. You can do that. You can build in checks and balances to make sure that the conversation is progressing fairly. Exactly. And that's all you really want is a fair, decent, civil conversation. And the sea lion nonsense is the exact opposite of that. And it's where things get corrupted. And I, mm. um, and I, and I believe, see, I, this is some of the criticism I've heard about it. And I've responded with, no, it's not that. And, and, and stop saying that because that's not true. But um, then I get you on my podcast so we can clarify all this stuff. So, um, so how, because, because it could Easily, any instance of SC could be interpreted as sea lioning, but that, but, but this is why we're stressing the ethics and also the attitude of the questioner. Because if you're not a troll and you're not trying to harass the person, you're honestly interested and you are respectful, then it can't be sea lioning. Yeah, they're two you completely even, different things. One thing that you could do if somebody's if somebody's accusatory that you're going to be sea lining or that you are, you can just say, listen, the last thing that I want to do is anything at all like that. Yep. And if at any point I ask a question or, or phrase something in the way that makes you think that that's what's happening, surface it right then and there so we can look at it and figure out how I need to revise my questions or present them in a way where it's not doing that. Exactly. Help me become a better questioner. Because again, this is this is a joint partnership to explore their beliefs, but you can also use it as a partnership to improve your questioning abilities. So bring them in as a partner. Please give me as much feedback as you're comfortable getting. I'll, I'll promise I'm going to try not to become um, insulted if you say something. I'll, I'll try to take it constructively. And if you can be, if you can sincerely show that that's what you're trying to do, they're going to probably see that become more open in their views. And then before you know it, the, the claims of you sea lining them or something are going to probably fall to the wayside. Right, exactly. I, I've seen this more in a, a third-party criticism of the practice, right? Oh, well, this is they're just doing this. They're just doing that, right? Um, they don't even understand, you know, what religion is and all this kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. What are you aware of? and willing to talk publicly about in terms of its weaknesses or criticisms that are valid and how are you guys dealing with that? Oh, I'm completely fine talking about them because if we talk about them, maybe somebody will listen to this and have suggestions on how to make them in, into strengths or something. Weaknesses. Well, one of the, one of the weaknesses of street epistemology is uh, learning to take yourself out of it as much as possible because we get so invested in these topics. Like, right, if you're going to talk with somebody about a topic, it's probably a topic that you also are interested in and you have a bias and you're probably emotionally invested. But you, in order to be good at questioning a person about why they think it's true, it's, I want to say critical. Yeah, I'll say critical. I think it's critical to take your own views out of it as much as you can. And a lot of people really struggle with that mm -hmm. because you've also made that belief part of your identity. Hello, it works both ways. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So if you can recognize that, oh shit, that's something that I can control for. I can set aside my view on that topic for five or 10 minutes. And if I do, hey, if I do that, it's gonna make this conversation so much better with this person. I'm gonna do it. 
And that could be hard to do, especially when they say stuff that makes it appear like you're dumb or they're completely misrepresenting your view. Fine. Set it aside. Stay focused. So that's that's a tough thing for people who are new to this to to get over. Um, what's another? The other thing that might be going against us is that oftentimes because the conversations are respectful and slower, they're drawn out, they might be a little bit like almost redundant or like they're spending so much time on something so basic. Why are they doing that? We can lose our interest in these conversations if you're an observer. They're not quite as juicy or as entertaining as a big debate or an argument between a street preacher and an atheist or something, right? Yeah. We love those. Those videos are so entertaining. So I think there's an there's a entertaining component to the SE approach that hinders us a little bit. That uh, maybe there's only a certain type of person that that would appeal to. And because of that, we're now hamstrung as far as like the, the adoption of this approach. And what else? That's an interesting point, that one, because I think you're spot on. I think that there is a large swath of the population who is, you know, entertain me. What do you got? Mm -hmm. Right. And if right. it's not, and, and, and with short attention, three, three, yeah, <laughs> short three attention minutes in and I, 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 yeah, I'm gone. Exactly. They haven't even got to the claim yet. That's this, right. I'm gone. Ah, eject. Right. And I think we do fight short attention span theater, you know, with uh, with a lot of what we're doing these days. But at the same time, um, you know, the rise of podcasts is not a coincidence. People are interested in and want solid, deep, hardcore information, and they don't tend to get it from our news media sources these days. So that you, this is why, you know, YouTube is, is, uh, is, a, is a popular platform. So, yeah. so, there's, so I think you're right that we are going to run into types of people who are going to be drawn to this. <laughs> you know? Versus, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Although I'm optimistic that even though you may not find yourself, that maybe you don't have the temperament to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, that you can see the value in us doing it and maybe support the folks who are. So sharing one of your favorite videos or, I don't know, writing a blog post about what we're doing or retweeting something about what we're doing because we do want to try to get more people doing this. And and uh, But I don't know. I, I don't see, honestly, I don't see a lot of disadvantages to the approach other than the couple of things that we mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, which makes me wonder why hasn't it caught on yet? I don't understand why well, people don't cause use it's a, it. Because it's because it's uh, it's a new thing. One, epistemology is a word a lot of people have a hard time understanding. So you talk about street epistemology, and instantly they don't really get what you're talking about. Two, people tend to think in conflict, especially on media. They want to see, they expect to see conflict, and you are not selling conflict with SE. You are selling understanding, compassion, tolerance, and respect. And yeah. these are not things that sell. Death sells. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just how it is in this world. Uh, and, the, and the empirical evidence for that is go turn your TV on, right? So um, this is the same problem I've had in trying to, I put my channel out there. I'm like ex-Scientologist guy, but I'm not. No, critical thinking, guys. Let's talk about critical thinking. Well, guess what happens every single time I post a video about critical thinking? It gets about a third of the views of a Scientology video right? At mm. most, right? Mm. Whereas if I talk about Scientology and how awful it is, you know, you can't get enough ears. And there's a little yeah. bit of bitterness in that on my part. There really is because I've been doing this for years now. And the, the stuff that lasts, the stuff that really matters that I talk about is the critical thinking stuff. 
the Scientology stuff has all kinds of life lessons and, and, and value to it. There are good things to understand. I'm, I, I, I've not been wasting my time, not by any stretch. I don't regret anything. It's just I am sometimes, you know, as a content creator, a little upset that I feel like the stuff that's the most important, most helpful, most useful stuff that I've said gets the least amount of attention. And yeah. that's just... I don't know. I haven't fall. I haven't solved that problem myself yet. I wish mm-hmm. I knew the solution to that problem. And maybe podcast is part of that. People do want the long form things. They want to listen to an hour long discussion. So maybe, maybe that will bode well for SC in the long term. Yeah. But uh, but I, I've also seen people use or talk about street epistemology on TikTok. Yeah, they're putting together very short videos and they're communicating critical thinking concepts in on that platform. Ah, beautiful. That's yeah. great. That's yeah, actually, so think, that's very good news. I, I asked, I asked my viewers, should I get on TikTok? And every single one of them was like, no, it's for young people. Stay off of that platform. Oh, that's horrible <laughs> advice. I would, I would highly rec, did I recommend to you? There was somebody else yeah. I would recommend to get on that. Oh no, it wasn't me. No, I've, I've, I've heard nothing but stay away from TikTok. No, I, I would highly recommend that you get on it. Oh, yeah, maybe I should. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole, gosh, there's, there's a huge ex Mormon community there. There's probably some ex-Scientologists on there. Hmm. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Whatever well, you feel comfortable with. Yeah, good to know. I, I'm just telling you what I heard. <laughs> yeah. But, yes, yeah, spreading the word is difficult. You, know, you mentioned that you've got all kinds of stuff, it sounds like, in the works. What have you – I mean, you're actually putting the nonprofit together. What is that about? What, what are you doing? We Tell- started a nonprofit in 2019 called Street Epistemology International uh-huh. because people have been messaging me and saying, where can I donate to support your work? And I'm like, people sending me checks, $100, like just go buy a new camera. I'm like, uh, how do we? So anyways, it, there also seemed to be a need to have some sort of organizational structure, especially if we want to find people to study this. Mm-hmm. So we formed a nonprofit. And uh, so we get people who donate Patreon, PayPal, and we then have a way of getting people who are in the community who might need a little bit of money or like uh, we have the Discord server for street epistemology. You can boost the server so the nonprofit covers some of those expenses. Basically, we, we want to have the infrastructure in place for a nice, healthy, vibrant community that's constantly experimenting with SE, but not let the org get in the way of that. Just sort of stay here on the sidelines. You need a little money for your project, whatever, cool. But we're not going to like dictate what this is or where it's going. Because I think eventually it will start catching on. Like mm-hmm. if if somebody, you know, if a, a Joe Rogan or somebody along those lines started noticing what we're doing and promoted it, I want to make sure that that infrastructure is in place so that when it does blow up, We'll be there. You know, we'll have the tools out there. The other thing I mentioned is, you know, we we have the course, the street epistemology course, which is challenging because how do you write a course teaching people how to do something that's still in flux and we don't want to kill that creativity? So you, we have to be a little sort of nebulous about how we teach some of these things, how we teach these skills. But I think that course is going to be phenomenal. I do too. I think it, it, it might be one of the best resources that we'll have available. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can get that done by the end of this year. Oh, good. And are you, yeah. are, where are you, are, do you have an idea yet on what platform that would be put up or how that would be uh, disseminated? At the moment, it's going to be a self-directed course, probably web page PDF only. 
Okay. So you would you would uh, figure out, hey, I want to take the seventh module on building and maintaining a rapport. You click the link. You've got eight pages or so of text and knowledge checks and sample dialogues. But ultimately, I would like to have that. This is for a later phase, but ultimately, we'll convert that to some sort of web app. Oh. So you can log in, create an account, see your progress over time. But in any case, there will be a help desk component where we're going to have a channel in the SE Discord for people called called a help desk. So anyone that goes through that course and gets stuck can reach out to the community to figure what's a better way of explaining this point. Beautiful. And then monitoring that to make sure, do we need to tweak this course so that there's this continuous cycle of making sure that the course materials are top notch. That's a great idea. So you run it through your own website so you can have complete immediate control over any changes. You know, you need to make some big change. You can do it that day. Boom, it's done. Exactly. And exactly. then you then give it some time, give it a bunch of input, give it the Wikipedia treatment where everybody gets to dive in on it and then formalize it. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. We have we have a team of 10 people from around the country at the moment. We'll probably triple, maybe well, hopefully double or triple that because we need help writing the modules. But this uh this course is an international effort made up completely of volunteers. Wow. To take our knowledge and put it into a into a format that not only teaches what it is, but teaches you what to look for to recognize, oh, this is now when I need to consider doing this. So we want to bring people from that from that understanding phase to the usage phase where they start employing it. That, yeah, exactly. And I think eventually you're going to want to have a whole bunch of, not my suggestion, of course, but whatever, is just a, a whole lot of video examples mm. on your site as part of the as part of the course. They have to. Mm-hmm. They would watch. I don't know. I would do at least three different video examples of each point along the way. But that's just my, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Just yeah ultimately, I think we'll, we'll. No, it's good. Yeah. Well, at the moment, I think we're planning to link out to specific references related to the module, and then going with text-based dialogues. Because with text-based dialogue, you can write out exactly. You can structure it in a way that hits the points that you want to teach, where you may not necessarily get that with a. You might get lucky with a video, but more than. Oh, likely, I was thinking more of scripted videos, like pre. Ah. Yeah. I. I. I mm-hmm. You know. You. You understand. This is a dramatization of based on real incidents sort of thing. But we're, mm. do, but we're doing this to teach you how to do the skill, not giving you a live example of what's really going to happen to you. It's, you know, you know what I mean? Anyway. It's, I see what you're saying. Yeah, Actors just, maybe reading. Yeah. I'm just a little yeah. excited about the whole thing. So I'm, <laughs> I'm suddenly contributing. So am I. I I'm, I'm very excited about it too. And we yeah. were looking at the amount of material that we might generate as a result of this. And I think it could dwarf anything that's been in a book about street epistemology prior to it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's deep. It's um wow. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Have you I, I just cuz I'm curious and I haven't spoken with Peter in so long um cuz he's been kind of off on his academic thing. Have you been in touch with him? What does he think about all this? Oh yeah, we we talk. Um we message frequently. Uh, awesome. he's he's got a got an interest in Clubhouse lately, so uh I don't know if you've heard of that. Have you yeah. heard of it? It's like a platform where you can you start a you start a room basically, and you can talk about any subject, and people can be observing. It's kind of like Discord, but it's a little bit simpler. Interesting. Um, but well, no, he's hmm. he's doing good. I think he's pretty happy with what we're doing with SE. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I think so. 
Yeah, Discord has just confused me. <laughs> I'm too old fogey. <laughs> it's kind of confusing. It is. It is. It's uh I like it, honestly. It's better. It's better for what we're trying to do with SE. Like yeah. keep in keep in touch with the community and and coordinate volunteers and projects and practice street epistemology and critique it. Talk about the ethics. We do all of that in that Discord server. Wow. Well, I should post links to all this stuff. So I hope you will send me some links to all this stuff so I can put it in the show notes because I want to okay. I want people to go check this stuff out. You know, my problem with Discord is my problem. That's no reflection on what you guys should be doing. Go <laughs> if Discord check it isn't, out. <laughs> if Discord isn't your thing, we have a couple of Facebook groups and Reddit is very active. I think there's eight or 10,000 people on the Street Epistemology Reddit. Wow. Yeah, we're out there. Whatever platform you're on, we're, there's probably somebody into Street Epistemology who's there too. Excellent, excellent. Well. I can't support this enough. I really do believe in what you're doing, and I um, and I want other people to know about what you're doing because I think that of all the things I see people doing out there in order to try to deal with the divide that the media and our political situations have created, and and I have no qualms about saying that the media created these divides <laughs> as well as our, our, our uh, kind of crazy politics, and that includes social media. Um, I do think that this is a, a lighthouse even in the world of critical thinking and the darkness out there, right? Um, you know, we talk about uh, science as a candle in the dark of, of ignorance it, with, with the demon-haunted world and Carl Sagan, but I think this is an extension of that. It's, criti it's critical thinking brought into the practical applied world. And 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 it's a and it's a way of engaging without uh, arguing or being nasty or owning or dunking or hating, and that is, uh, if for no other reason than the, than those things, I, I think that this deserves all kinds of support. Let me ask you one more about one more area, and then maybe we'll move toward wrapping up because I'm because of the time factor. Sure. Really, only I could keep going for another hour on this. I've got so many questions for you still. I'm, I'm good for another hour if you want to go another. hour. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's up to I, you. Yeah, I, 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 I <laughs> you gotta, can't. I can't. No but, biggie. Um, but I do want to ask about this because everything we've talked about so far, I've always had the impression, and I think we talked about this in earlier podcasts. But for those who haven't heard those. How effective or useful is this on social media when you're not face-to-face -face with the person or having a live, you know, you mentioned maybe doing it over Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, can you do this by text? Is this something that is effective that way? Because it seems to me it wouldn't be, but that's my opinion. You can use street epistemology over text, okay. but it is, it is more difficult, I think, because you lose a lot of the, the human elements of the conversation. You're not often looking at them, seeing their reactions, seeing the pauses, maybe seeing confusion on their face because they just don't understand your question. And then you think that you they've understood and now you're making things worse. You can, however, do it over text, but there's just so many challenges to it. I think it you could probably use SE over text to to identify a person and maybe get a sense of where they are and how open they are to exploring it. And then maybe inviting them to a video chat or something over the phone where it's audio. Like Clubhouse might be a good thing because it's audio only, it's not video, or one of the Discord servers, despite your your love-hate relationship with that <laughs> platform, which I totally get. But a lot of people don't 
so there are many people who just aren't comfortable having a face-to-face conversation. They'd rather talk about these topics over text. Oh, so sure. You, if that's just your personality and that's the only avenue that you'll work within, then fine. Just keep in mind that if you are having a text-based conversation and there are observers who can jump in and derail it, that is, if you can control for that element and maybe make it text-based, but it's a private conversation on Twitter or in Facebook Messenger or something like that, Mm -hmm. that would be a step up from a public text-based conversation. Yeah. Because when people know that they're being watched, they're often responding to the audience that's watching. Exactly. It's called virtual signaling. Not the conversation partner. That's right. So if it is one-on-one, you're going to get a lot more honest responses. For sure. So that would be, you know, the worst. So, okay. So worst is public text-based. The next best would be uh, text-based, but private. And then after that, I would say audio variations like Discord and Clubhouse and then telephone. And then maybe going from Zoom to some sort of video chat, FaceTime to actual face-to-face in person, which I think is probably best. Agreed. Agreed. I, personally, I wouldn't do it if I wasn't live with the person. Um, I'd even hesitate over Zoom, um, but I would feel more confident that I could yeah. get a result on uh, Zoom than I could. I would not even try if I was yeah. at audio only. But that's just me. Like I said, that's just me personally. Yeah. But well, I, this if also I raises see the question the person, about. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, you want to you want to see the person, yeah. yeah. But this goes to the other question. Like you asked. What's the what's the best venue for an effective conversation? Well, what does it mean to have an effective conversation? That's a whole other that's a whole other question too. Well, I um, think I think some of the points you brought up are part of my definition or idea of effective, honest answers, right? Not virtue signaling, not speaking to an not not giving answers catered to other people watching, but how they really feel. Yes. How they really think. That's what you want. And it, and and trying to do that in a public forum forget it. I would never mm-hmm. do that. I can't do that in a public forum. I'm constantly aware of the fact that I'm being watched by an audience. I don't just I don't just let loose when I'm on social media. I know some people think I do sometimes, but <laughs> some of the shit I say on social media is nothing compared to the stuff I actually say in real life. So, you know, you want that honesty. I think that's an integral component of this whole thing is that both sides are being honest. Yeah. You know, transparent, yeah. open, and honest. I think that's one of the that's one of the the anchors of 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 why SE works is because mm-hmm. of that. And yeah. if you can identify those variables that have the tendency to make the conversation less productive, like making a face to face if you possibly can, or approaching it f- with a friendly type of mindset, like we talked about, and you you find somebody that does value truth and they want to believe true things. Um, if you can stack the deck, I guess, in your favor as much as possible, but also let the, let your conversation partner know, like this, this conversation, I I tell people this conversation will go really well. If you're just honest, Mm -hmm. just be brutally honest. Don't, you know, don't give an answer that you think that you need to give, actually give the answer that you really, that comes to your mind. And if you can, you can, if you, if you can, account for some of those variables and then use this approach, you're going to have an amazing conversation. Probably the best conversation you've ever had on that topic than you've ever had before. 
But you need to be aware of these things first. And it's bringing this awareness that, hey, there's a different way. There's things to consider. But if you approach it in this way, you're going to have a profound talk. And it's going to bring clarity to their view to them and bring, you know, bring clarity uh, to yourself. And that's, that's when the belief revision can start. Like when we have a true representation of what the belief is, and we can look and see what the strengths and weaknesses are of the walls that are surrounding it. That's exactly what we're trying to do with SE. Beautiful, beautiful summation. And I think I've, I think I'm going to wrap up on that. Cause like I said, I could ask yeah. you another 20 questions, but I've really, I, I, uh, unfortunately, I have another live stream I'm doing in 10 minutes. That's, that's so okay. That's okay. Go. It's always fun but, talking with you, Chris. Thanks for inviting me on your show again. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Anthony. You are awesome. And you're doing real championship work out there. And I, I can't validate you enough. I, I, I really want you to know. I, I respect the hell out of what you are doing. And uh, and I really think it is the future of, uh, or a, a key part, at least, of the future of critical thinking and of skepticism or, 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 or uh, yeah, skepticism, actually as a topic, mm -hmm. you know, I think yeah. this is, I think this is key to that. Applied skepticism through respectful inquiry. Yeah, oh. that's it. There we go. Okay. All right. We're going to put links to everything in the show notes here at sensiblyspeaking.com and on the YouTube uh, channel here. So check those out. Uh, if you like discord or you want to go to Facebook or you want to check out Anthony on Twitter, those links will be below. And with that, folks, we're going to wrap up I will see you guys next week. Thanks for coming around and listening to us. Hope you got something out of it. Bye-bye.